and all that that entails so I'm super pleased to be back in chat mode and have finished moving. So just to remind you People My Dog Would Like is a podcast where I speak with interesting people about their game-changing ideas, fresh initiatives, you know out-of-the-box movements with an eye on the future and I always talk about a compassionate future too. Today I'm so pleased to have as my guest Genevieve Levier. Genevieve is founder of AgriLedger and she's CEO, a fintech venture aiming to empower agricultural producers by democratising their access to financial services and improving the transparency of the supply chain. You know, if we eat food, we are involved in agribusiness and what blockchain technology has the capacity to do in this space is revolutionary, literally to improve the lives of billions of people around the world. Genevieve serves as the Vice Chair for the Tech UK Distributed Ledger Technologies Working Group. The DLT Working Group will provide strategic direction for all Tech UK activities related to blockchain and DLT. Having come from the banking world and having deep understanding of the moving parts and pain points in the financial sector, Genevieve's ambition is to collaborate on and build innovative solutions to address inefficiencies and obstacles towards the simplification of the customer journeys. Now, I know she's a serious foodie and coffee aficionado and have experienced this myself as we were fortunate enough to experience a highly memorable Italian meal on her most recent trip to Melbourne. It was so good. We spent some time talking about the social impact of blockchain tech and the supply chain of food, amongst other things. The impact it is promising to have is pretty breathtaking and was why I was so keen to have her come and talk about it on the show. So welcome to the show, Genevieve. Thank you, Lizzie, and welcome. Thank you very much for having me. I wish I was back in Melbourne with you, even though I know it's cold. <laughs> You're in the UK, and it's summer, so you should be happy there. Uh, have you been in a British summer? Yes, I've lived there for 13 years. So, yes, I do also understand seasonal affective disorder because summer sometimes doesn't come. We've been lucky in the last few weeks. It's actually been sunny and uh, it got up to a whooping 25 degrees. So, Woo-hoo. Oh, my God, I know. Anyway, listen, I am so pleased we had the chance to talk about the world of blockchain. And, again, on the podcast, I, I've taken a bit of a break from it for the last month. But can you tell me a little bit about your role in it and perhaps a little bit about what led you into the space? Sure. Um, I'd say my role is very varied and I'm, I'm feeling very grateful and lucky in that I get to participate not only in, as you say, looking to build solution, but I've also been uh, acting as advisor on various very interesting projects And finally, uh, one of the things I discovered that I didn't know about myself is being able to recommend uh, projects and also bring in to those projects um, investors. 
So it's allowing me to go through the whole ecosystem. And lately, I've been involved with a new company, which is really what we would call the bottom chain technology, in looking to not only uh, inviting others to build, understanding the drivers and also the benefits of the application, but what it takes to actually run such a company, everything from the cybersecurity to the community management and understanding the drivers of investors and what kind of investors do you want to have and what kind of, uh, and what kind of uh, promoters you look to have. So um, very, very interesting. But my heart is really about how this can change the way we live and also the way we interact with each other. The way I got involved in the blockchain was actually I started working for a company called Identrust. Identrust is an identity provider. So I'm very much about the whole idea of fully qualified identity, which is using actually the same technology as a base as the blockchain. It's something called X509 to bar, to bore everyone. So cryptography. So I like to think the blockchain is very much like uh, identity on speed because it's really a lot of X509 interrelated and a lot of cryptography, which has to be solved. So I started at Identrust and then two days into the job, my boss called me. I was the head of um, uh, the relationship management globally, except for the U.S. And she said, uh, I have a favor. Would you mind getting on a plane in a couple of days and going to South Africa? There's a project with a former executive of one of the banks we'd worked to before, and he's now moved to a new bank. And they're looking at a project using this new technology called blockchain. And it seems to be something to do with new banking. I was like, okay, fine, you know, (laughs) South Africa, new things, and I get to be on the plane. It was like my dream come true. So it was actually, look, a South African bank, looking to implement a blockchain solution with, at the time, and this is when I got to meet Stellar Foundation, uh, to provide financial knowledge to young girls. And then this looked at not only how banking and finance, you know, financial education, but how that would then change the rest of their life because this would allow for transaction around everything from healthcare to uh, buying music, to even uh, being able to work with their parents who might be the owner of a Shabin and looking at how you would pay. So it was amazingly eye-opening. So I then got to spend a whole summer getting to know about blockchain and how we would use it in with digital identity. Right. And did the South African bank end up working with the project and it being used? Was it implemented? Um, I think this was, since this was three and a half years ago, uh, a lot of the people who were involved in the project, and I'd like to say myself included, have really become uh, very prominent in the field. I can't say how well the project went through because I left it in about five or six months in. My view is this will happen one day. The, the one concern about the technology is the possibilities are there. And those of us who dream can see the possibilities. 
but the technology is not there yet. Because you, one of the challenges with uh, the blockchain technology or distributed ledger technology is data. Mm. The amount of data that you can actually put mm. through, the resiliency of the system is not there yet. But it's the same way if, you know, I like to say we're in 1996 of the internet age. By 2000, you, st- you, know, you started having things that you didn't believe in could have happened. Uh, YouTube was one of, you know, the first breakthrough. So being able to stream music and large amount of music through the internet was a breakthrough. We do not have that capacity yet in the blockchain. Also, I think that we are finally starting to see the dawn to understand that one project cannot do it all. So you're starting to have specific application for specific activities and that will drive what i i do believe it will happen much faster than it did with the internet because you're getting three four folds happening on a daily basis so once we have those the infrastructure because right now we're still stuck in a world of infrastructure once we have infrastructure nailed down then we will start seeing processes that can be serviced properly. Yeah. Gee, you've explained it so much better than so many people I've spoken to in the past. Thank you for that. So in a way, what you're saying is we're kind of in 1996, but at the same time, I guess you've said you think it will happen faster because there are people working together now that weren't potentially collaborating in the past. But does, does the tech also have an exponential difference to it in as much as it's faster? I think you there's know? several things that, uh, that are driving this. Uh, in 1996, uh, collaboration was very difficult because communications were, you know, you didn't have the internet, you didn't have a proliferation of chats and uh, free com- com- communication because if we think about it, we can have somebody in the U.S. and now somebody in Asia, and they can communicate through WhatsApp, WeChat, or Skype, all of that at very little cost or no cost. So that removes barriers. Second of all is individuals can now participate in 1996, and this is something that I know for myself, my career has been one of a change agent. But I've always been the change agent from within organizations because that was the only way I could function. And when you're within an organization, you also have barriers of how things can be communicated and where they can be communicated. Nowadays, because you have more individual participating and more individual making a difference and being able to reach out to one another. So you have LinkedIn, you put in, you know, I can't tell you how many people reach out to me mm. and if you make the right connection. You can now start collaborating in a much faster way. And that I think is making sure that there is more momentum. Some of it might go into the wrong direction, but that's okay because all trials are good. Even if they lead to failure, it is a pathway that then you can say has been breached, we know it doesn't work, and now we can veer back into getting to somewhere that works. So that's why I'm so excited about being 
able to be part of this world today. And the barriers to entry are really only limited to your own personal ability to get over the obstacles that may be there. Mm. So if you're determined and prepared to learn, the sky's the limit really, isn't it? I think, uh, yes. Um, but particularly, I- particularly when I think about uh, developing worlds too, and I know that's where a lot of your focus has been, particularly with AgriLedger and what a mobile phone has done or is doing to transform the lives of individuals, but entire countries in some of these developing, uh, you know, developing nations. So my viewpoint is that technology today allows the developing world to actually leapfrog. We in the West like to think that we have appropriated the mobile phone. But if we look back, the first use and really the acceptance of the mobile was in uh, the developing world because they didn't have the infrastructure. They didn't have the line laid out. So they had to come up with a way to be able to communicate. So the first take was there. And then eventually we understood how it would make a difference in our lives and we improved on it. I think that with the new technologies, particularly the blockchain, you're creating systems where you can create trust, which is where everyone needs. But we have in the West already a modicum of something that gives us trust. You know, we don't trust it fully, but we know that there is a systematic process for ratifying anything that goes wrong. So that makes the West less um, adaptable in a very quick way. And for me, my focus as a result is not to, is not just to say because it is, uh, it, it, it's because the developing world needs it. It's just that the developing world does not have anything else. And so we can work together in perfect, perfectioning this. And I also think that it is imperative for them to be part of the development because if they're not, they will be handed something which may not work for them. And this is something that time and time again, when we look at certain projects, they're designed for a Western mindset or a Western, Western, exactly. Western way of doing things, which then does not work. Like, we make assumptions assumptions of how you get to places. How fast can you get, you know, like most of us will have a commute back and forth to work and home of no more than an hour. You know, an hour is more something like you get in the UK, in the US, most people will be about half an hour to 15 minutes away from their house unless they make different life choices. But that's the average. Versus mm. in the developing world, it is not abnormal for someone to have a two-hour commute with several different modes of transportation in order to get back and forth. So those kind of things means that a solution that you design for an individual in those uh, that environment will not be the same as someone who has different time management um, concern or lack of concern. So. Mm-hmm. Um, with the blockchain technology, because we're talking about relaying information that create trust. And, you know, sometimes I, I, I fall into the book of saying blockchain, but it's distributed ledger technology. And then another thing that we also, the technology provides is 
the ability for people to have their data set and then share only what is necessary. And this is what's exciting me that now the communication is been around that, you know, it's been spearheaded a bit by GDPR, which is the general data protection requirements that have come to light in Europe. But for me, I've been talking about data governance for a while, and it's very important to realize that there's certain information that I am willing to share, and there's certain information that I don't want to tell you about. So when you're talking digital governance or security governance, you're basically talking sovereign, aren't you, for yourself, for the individual? I think it's sovereign for the individual, but even at the, so so in, let's take the idea of agriculture. Um, I mean, I'm aware you're founder and CEO of AgriLedger, and that is a blockchain organisation who I think is, has a mission to I guess in some ways revolutionise the agriculture supply chain. You know, can you talk yes. to me a little bit about the kind of problems that AgriLedger are solving in kind of this space that we're talking about now? Yes. So in terms of the problem that we're solving, it's really a supply chain problem. And also we're looking at how to bridge the liquidity issues. So uh, if we think about certain countries such as India, where um, a couple of months ago, there was a price drop in the tomatoes. The tomatoes went from 10 cents, let's say, it's not exactly, please don't quote me, it was almost like 10 cents a kilo to less than a cent a kilo. Yeah. This is hypothetical. Let's say hypothetical. Hypothetical because I don't remember the numbers, but it was something pretty drastic. That caused that farmers started committing suicide. They lost market. There were some who destroyed the crop and washed it down the river. Oh, my God. Now, we're talking about tomatoes, and tomatoes is actually fundamental to the cultural cooking of every single culture in the world. I've yet to meet a culture which does not use some modicum of tomatoes as part of the base of their food. Mm. So what happens is that you now start saying, why did that happen? Well, the market... And what can what can the technology do? What the technology if exactly. implemented that will fix that horrific problem if people are committing suicide <laughs> because there's a price drop like and that. we think of it, you know, we hear a lot of it about the suicide happening in uh, India, but actually it's not limited to India. It actually happens quite a bit in the West also, because a lot of farmers in the US, in Europe, everywhere in the world, live on credit. And if they have a failure in their production, they then can be disseminated. They also do not have the cash flows usually to be able to take care of their family in the way they they all like every one of us will have bills to be paid. But the cycles in which they actually have use of money causes that they cannot always rely. And if they are relying on others to pay them and they're late, that creates havoc in their finance. So there has been some great project that I'm aware of in Australia, which are looking at assuring that the payment is made. 
I think that's great. But what I want to do is uh, taking a bit of what has been done by Provenance, which is another blockchain company, which looks at the provenance of by tracing the item so that you can then create the brand management. That's one level of it. I want to also uplift that information to create the financial markets, Mm -hmm. which can be done with this. So there has been a small project that I know of in Mexico, which took the jalapeno peppers and created a futures market with jalapeno. Because because now you have data. So you know when the the it's planted, you know what the expected yields are supposed to be, and now you can go into markets and actually start selling it ahead of time. If you think about it, you also have the opportunities to have investments, early investments in delivery of a particular commodity where that commodity is not something that you particularly want yourself, but you realize that the demand is going to be there. So as such, it creates a financial marketplace with items that we at this time were not able to trace to know what the ebbs and flow would be. So really providing liquidity to those farmers that in the past had none and were really reliant on on those bank cycles and the creditor cycles. Exactly. And uh, I, the other thing is also, um, even though we have seen a very slow uptake of banks to the technology, having worked in a bank myself, I don't think that the banks don't want to. It just takes years to change systems. And the reason for that is the regulatory aspect of the, that they are governed by causes that they have to be very careful and very sure and be a thousand percent, not a hundred percent sure that they know what they will do if there is a failure and how to recover from those failure. We're using right now a very new technology. So having your total infrastructure be based on this new technology is not something that the banks can do. However, I do believe that they understand, because many of them have been using that technology in some level for a while, they understand the immutability and the inability to modify uh, data so that in ways, if we can now provide this to farmers or to others as a registry, so their ledger, Mm. They can then provide that information back to the bank to be able to get access to credit. Um, And in a way, what you're talking about potentially is a a future that's more hybrid, where you've got banks partnering with fintech companies and with you know, with potential suppliers to the farmers. And and yeah, I don't, I don't subscribe to the idea of banks are going to go away. I think that there is a. there's a relationship uh, in terms of trust, you know, that personal trust, which is also driven. I know that, you know, 2008 is not a great, no, 10 years ago, I can't believe it's 10 years ago already. 2008 mm-hmm. is not a great barometer of to what happened in terms of breaking of trust from financial institutions. But fundamentally, we all realized that because of the checks and balances which have been put there by government, that they are consequences 
or some sort of consequences for banks not behaving properly, which means that from a relationship point of view, these are individuals that we can put a certain level of trust. So banks are going to continue because I don't see the transitness of government or individuals to create that trust factor as we deal with people. So what we have to do in terms of fintech, so some organization, um, one of them that I think is becoming, is trying to become much more of a fintech like PayPal. Oh, Yeah, are creating these monster fintech companies to be able to, at the end, still work with banks for that. Okay. Who's that? Who are you talking about that uh, would be like a potential competitor to PayPal? I was looking at a company the other day that are working with both fiat accounts and crypto accounts and I thought that's smart they're in Germany I wondered if that's the company or if it's another one um that's one of the companies I think there are several coming up and you will also see some coming out of Estonia I think one of the things with crypto is the volatility and you know let's say when we talk about crypto being things like uh bitcoin ethereum there's a certain volatility because of lack of actual control by one organization, which means it's really market-driven. However, the new cryptos that are coming in, which are coins derived from a project, those I don't see as being, I, I see those more sort of like as investment um, particles because there is a company which is delivering a service and that coin is basically representative of the um, success of that company. Yeah, the potential success. The potential, so yeah. potential on some, and if they are functional, the success of that company. How well, it's like as though I had a Coca-Cola coin and how many people are drinking Coca-Cola or if it goes out of favor and people start using uh, drinking PepsiCo because PepsiCo is doing much better marketing, then the PepsiCo mm-hmm. coin would go up. Yeah. A bit like shares, so, really, let's be honest. It's it like is like shares. It's yeah. like securities and shares. And that's why the it's going to be interesting to see what happens in the next few months because we're going to see a lot of regulatory responses to the to the industry. But I think it's important, though, for people mm. to understand the fundamental difference between those crypto versus what I would really consider to be cryptocurrency, such as Bitcoin and Ethereum. Yeah. So, so I guess in some ways, what are you talking in a way about the tokenization of the marketplace, therefore? Uh, so the projects will have currency that they call tokens and you'll be using those tokens and those tokens will be worth either a small amount of money or a lot of money depending upon how rare the token issuance was. I, From my point, the way my token uh, approach is, is a bit different. So what you just described is a very valid way of uh, sort of like looking at a project or a product that you're delivering or a process like a service. Mm. What I'm looking at is really 
uh, having this asset back token. Yes. Okay. So the token is a representation of the value of the item. And then you can bundle, so you end up bundling to then create the instrument for the investment. Okay. Can you be, can so, you be more specific, do you think, about how that could work? Uh, sure. Um, so let's use the jalapeno. I'm trying to, I'm trying to take it away from the academic, pers- the theoretical yeah, no, 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 no. <laughs> I'll give you my secret. You know, so, so for <laughs> listeners, I'm like, I'm just thinking for listeners that sometimes they just get lost in the in the cryptocurrency or blockchain talk, and I think I don't want to lose them. Mm. I really, I, I don't want you to give away any secrets either, Genevieve. No, so it's not about that. It's no, about, no, it's about being, you know, a bit more black and white. No, this is fundamental financial instruments. So what happens is that if I have a house, let's use a house as an example. If I have a house. Okay. Uh, as the house is getting built, we know what the costs for building the house is and also what the value, the intrinsic value of the house is going to be. So if I was to tokenize that house as a as a house, I would say, let's say the house is worth $350,000. However, I am going to now create through the token – the ability to actually digitize and this is one of the fun, the differences right now. So if I am. uh, So this is a new mindset, isn't it? This is what I mean by it's a new paradigm. And that's why I'm saying, can you explain that? I have a lovely husband who came with a cup of coffee and made a bit of noise. I apologize that. Broke my <laughs> concentration. That's okay, because I need a lovely husband to be bringing me a glass of wine. But he's not here. And it it's came when I was trying to explain something very. <laughs> no, apologize. Okay. So Zen moment. So going back. So um, what it is is that tokenization gives us the ability to actually have a mirror value of a physical item. So you can take a physical item now and say this is the value of it. And then you yep. can fractionalize the access to that value. So yep. let's take a stock. Right now, if I want to buy Amazon and I want one share of Amazon, I need to put about $1,800 to buy that one share. I cannot buy mm-hmm. one-third. I cannot buy one-eighth. I cannot buy 1.01% of a share of Amazon. I have to buy a full share. Yeah. The fundamental difference that you get with the blockchain is now you can take that one and fractionalize it to the umpteen level and still make it that one. Mm. So when you look at physical assets or asset class, different asset classes, you can take several different pieces and create a one with it and then know what mm. that one is made of and break it down so that the value you can bundle that value. So one of the things where there was a bundle which was good and bad was the whole uh, real estate market in 2008. What really caused the crash was bundling of good and bad assets. So asset bundling has been happening for a while. But now through tokenization, you can actually make it available to more people. And then you can also have clarity and transparency as to 
how each asset is performing in that bundle and being able to move them out much quicker than we were in the past. So it is, um, Mm. this is really where the technology provides the ability to have complex ideals achievable. Yeah. And also I love what you're talking about in as much as it is more inclusive. Not everyone can afford one share in Amazon, can they? But they could they could potentially no. afford one tenth of a share in Amazon, and those shares could potentially keep keep appreciating in value. So even that one tenth will go up, and that's all they could afford at the time. Exactly. So that's the beauty of it, in that it gives access to. Um, to financial uh, wealth, to everyone. Now, what happens is that it also allows for de-risking at a level which is not currently possible because you have a, a certain level of transparency or you can see as assets are not performing much faster than you can currently. Mm. Do you think people will be as... Do you think they'll have the critical eye that maybe you and I would have on assets that they're holding? Or I guess it'll be a new, there'll be an entirely new group of people that will act as brokers, I expect, that will look after look after people's assets and, and be reading the fine print because yeah. that fine print will still be there. I mean, the fine print will still be there. The ability, and this is something I was talking actually with someone the other day is they came up with the realization that even in this new paradigm, you do need brokers. Yes. You do need, you know, so we talk a lot about removing the uh, third parties and middlemen. I say we're not removing middlemen. We are making sure that we have clarity in the roles of uh, the roles and responsibility of everyone throughout the supply chain. Yeah, that makes The supply chain, sense. whatever process you're delivering. Because we cannot be everything to every, you know, there are some of us which are brilliant that, yes, are able to do everything. But the reality, as you said, most of us will not have the knowledge, the time, the uh, the patient. Even if, you, exactly. I mean, who reads the terms and conditions when they press click and agree on any piece of software? I mean, we always just yes. press agree and I think we could be. <laughs> saying we're going to chop our right arm off. We don't know what we're signing, really. And I think it's the same goes for, you know, the future of these contracts and and people say it's transparent and I'm thinking I won't be reading it. I'll be paying someone to read it for me and sitting down with me and making very clear what it is that I've got, where it came from and all of the the aspects that I think involve de-risking but also involve far more clarity in in the whole supply chain of any product. Wherever it's from, and it could be your, it could be your house, it could be your financial holding, it could be anything at this point. But I think that what it does, it also opens the opportunities for you to uh, have exposures in places that you would not have been able to before because the information back to you was lacking or very slow. So now. Again, you know, uh, we started talking about communication 
being some, you know, how communication happens today, being much more rapid and much more open. Those are all the different pieces which are allowing for really the evolution. You know, a lot of people are talking about this is the fourth industrial revolution. The reason for that is just not blockchain. I think blockchain is one part of the component. When you start adding artificial intelligence, mobile technology, 5G, all those things combined allow us to work at a speed and a capacity which was not possible. I forgot one, IoT. Yeah. It really is changing the way we or our children are going to be interacting in this world. Yeah, absolutely. Mesh technologies is very fundamental in all of this. So listen, talking about access and the revolution that we're experiencing, or we could call it an evolution, but I, I personally think it is a bit of a revolution. I'm drawn to women in the blockchain space. I think you have been as well. We're both part of a couple of groups that are Women in Blockchain International. And I I wondered how you, what your perspective was on women working in the space, because I certainly feel that women out there are very capable. Whether they're accessing the opportunities, I don't know. I'm not across it as much as I, I'd like to be, but I certainly, for instance, I'm interviewing you because I really want to promote women working in this space because I think if women out there listening understood that it wasn't just a tech space, that there's so much more involved in the future underpinned by this blockchain technology and, you know, and AI and various other technologies that women can also get involved in. Uh, I think it's, for me, it is actually one of my goals to make sure that more and more women are involved. And it isn't just about the technology. And I hope that I demonstrate in that I do I do dip into the technology, but I look more at the business processes and also the changes that we're trying to make through the use of technology as the enabler. As such, uh, it is, however, imperative for women to understand up to a certain level what is going on. So to educate themselves into what's what's happening, what's coming down the pipe by reading, and there is so much information. Some of it is pretty crappy, (laughs) but at least it's information. So the more you educate yourself, the more you know and you learn the jargon. And I think that's what's important. It's the language is also important to be able to understand what are people talking about, what are the different uh, drivers that are going on. But the depth of uh, opportunity is tremendous. And mostly, given that we're about to move from a very technology-centric, infrastructure-centric environment to much more of a business environment, it is important to have more women involved. I mean, uh, I remember... And partnerships environment. I mean, women are so good at collaboration, I I personally feel, and partnerships. And the whole ecosystem begs for partnerships, doesn't it? Yes, it does. So, um, I, you know, I've been reading some of those forums and I like some of what's been said in terms of encouraging projects to have more women involved. Uh, but I think that the involvement cannot be only a surface involvement. So it demands for both parties to be vetted in this, to educate themselves as to what does it mean what 
is the high level? What is a you know what is the difference between a Bitcoin versus a token which has been issued? Those things are access that we can do ourselves very easily. Anyone can. Um, I always think that it's very wise to shut your door for a day and just do some reading. Twenty four hours. Turn your phone off. For anyone that doesn't know about cryptocurrencies or blockchain, I give them that advice. I say just for 24 hours, turn off all distractions and just do some reading because it's fascinating if you actually give yourself the time to learn about it. And once you've learned about it, you then use your experience that you've had in the past to bring. Yeah, that's right. Because it's it's a business. At the end of the day, it's a business and it's a business which is – it's at, fundamentally, blockchain technology is nothing else but database with secrets on assets. It's transactions. Yeah. So it's very human. It's based on transactions. Yes. Humans are transacting all the time, whether it's communication, whether it's money, whether it's d- diplomacy. It's all transactions. Yeah. And, and that's that- all it is. And I think you just said something very important also. Money is only one part of it. Mm. It is, at the end of the day, everything we do eventually has a financial outcome um, in order for, because we have to pay in order to live, in order to eat, in order to move. However, all that living, eating, moving is also involving lots of data and transactioning. And this is where we usually spend a lot of time rechecking information in order to bring trust or looking for that trust factor. And that's what the application is going to bring at some level. But we shouldn't also think it is a panacea of everything because information, so that's why it's great that there is AI now because you're not going to have everything on the blockchain. You're going to have other places And you're also going to have the human factor in there. So when you think about all of those things, you need different individuals to participate in that ecosystem. And I think it's important for women to not be shy or um, feel daunted by the fact that it involves technology. You just say technology is part of this. It is the infrastructure. It is the door in, but what else do I bring to the table, which I can then, through my experience, deliver? So, which means we need lawyers, we need accountants, we need, you know, one of the things I'm actually dying for right now is a treasury analyst without a fear of crypto. Because guess what? We do need to also hedge this new instrument. So... Mm. All of those things are important and I, I, I make it my, you know, so I'm very interested in making sure that my projects are very successful, but I think my biggest mission is really about demystification of the whole space, making people understand it's, do you really care that HTML and TCP IP under the webpage that you're working on? No, you just want to make sure that when you put in that word, it goes into Google or Bing or whatever and brings you back the right responses. Mm. So what advice would you give women listening today 
if they're interested and aren't sure what to do next? Apart from my yeah. tip, which is close your door, do some reading, don't don't be distracted by anyone for 24 hours. So I agree with your tip as the starting point. That's one way. Uh, one of the key is language. Being able to speak the language is going to be the secret word to get you into the club. That's the wider club. However, uh, we are very lucky and all people have to do is a search for women in blockchain international or mixedblockchain.tech. And there is a project which is by actually a fellow Aussie of yours, uh, Akasha Indram, which is really looking to uh, include women more and provide them with opportunity in the space. Through that, there is also a lot of information about meetups and safe places that people can actually uh, attend to be able to learn more and to share information. But I then think it's really doing something that we're always not so good about is taking a chance. Pro- there are tons of projects out there in blockchain who are trying to get up and running. You many a time will have an expertise in a subject that they need. And because they're small and they don't have cash, they are looking for someone to help them on those. So volunteer to be an administrator, uh, uh, an advisor. The amount of women I know, though, who are, apart from Akasha, are so tech. That's why I said, how do you find women generally? I mean, you're working, you know, you've got that kind of unconscious bias because you're working in the space with lots of different people and that are interested in it. But I come across women all the time and they're not interested. They're curious. They just don't, you know, they think having their head around a bit of social media is enough. And I'm like, what is it about you that you don't want to learn more? I think it's, do you think it's a fear? It's not not wanting to learn. It's a fear of failure. I think most, and I don't want to generalize, but I I sometimes wonder if as women either we are genetically or uh, society makes it to where we are a bit more risk adverse and risk adverseness means not wanting to fail and staying in a very safe place. Yeah. And that could be the, and not knowing and not know and knowing that you don't know makes you fearful of the errors that you may commit. And as such, they don't extend their horizon or they don't extend their ability to access these things. So I, I wonder if that's part of the problem and how do we actually mitigate this and get them to be much more comfortable? That's why I was saying, what advice have you got? Because I also struggle maybe it's by making it much more relevant and much more close and bringing it into their sphere in a, you know right now there's so much happening that it's like all over the place but concentrating mm. into one aspect uh inviting them to conferences or you know making it available for them to go and listen uh everyone does tech today everyone has an iphone and when the conversation is really talking Mm. about the frustrations like 
for me, when I talk about wallets, I sort of talk about it with purses. So imagine you have five purses with a few penny here, a few penny there, and you have to put them together and it costs to put them together. That's one of the challenges of the different wallets and solutions and exchanges that are out there. Mm -hmm. And so talking in a way which is relatable rather than saying just this great technology is out there that you should get involved. I know you're so much better at it than me, yeah, I'm just not. You know, but I just think I think I'm probably a bit maybe I'm a bit impatient or I guess I'm just yeah, it probably is fear. I think when I've I've been reluctant to look into something that I may have not been interested in, I think it's often fear-based. And it's uh, so when I was at the uh, my previous roles so uh, I didn't talk about some of those, which have been everything from working in MTV networks, uh, working in ovarian cancer research, doing bank, big bank system implementation. Wow. At the end of the day, you, when you're changing people's life or bringing a change into people's life, there's always fear. And it doesn't matter if the, the sex of the individual you're about to change the way things are done in their lives. And most people don't want to make change, don't want change. I, you know, I, I change on a dime, but I have to tell you, I hate it. And it's always something where I have to go into my quiet space in order to be able to allow myself to move forward. So what you have to do is you have to take people by the hand mm. and hold that hand as they traverse some of those fears that they have. And I think it's important for us to do this in this situation. Yes, we talk about more women getting in, but how do we bring them in and how do we make it safe for them? And I believe Miss Blockchain Tech is about bringing some of that safety in a very easy way to digest. But then, and uh, there are others out there which are very inclusive also. I think there's another ent Women International. But yeah, very if inclusive. we can make That's it safe, but also we should one. make sure that we also push them out. But we shouldn't also look to just make it all about women. We should also bring in men yeah, to right. allow them to understand some of those fears that we may have. And you know what? I think there's also a lot of men who don't understand and who are fearful and also are misguided by some of the, because you're going to read a lot of FUD. And for those who don't know what FUD is, basically uh, information which is incorrect, which is based, uh, you gossip yeah. to <laughs> create a certain negative effect on others. And so I think that if we, acknowledge fear of change or fear of the unknown because this is unknown for many and we break it down into pieces and also have the uh, patience to answer mm. what maybe seem to us who know stupid questions but in my view there's never a stupid question what is stupid is not asking yeah i don't think there are stupid questions i i guess for me it's just Wishing people were a little bit more curious, but I think people are just overwhelmed with the pace of change too. I think you, and, you know, at times I feel the same way. I think that's you just hit the key there. Everything is moving so fast, so that if I can not worry about what I don't need to worry about or what I don't believe I need to worry about, then I can actually be in somewhat of a control. Yeah. 
And speaking of which, actually, how do you look after yourself? I mean, you're flying all over the world. You're speaking at events about blockchain, about social impact. And what do you do, like, on a daily basis or a weekly basis that kind of centres you or that that you feel contributes to your wellness? Um, Make sure that from a social standpoint, I continue to uh, connect with those who are um, near and dear to me. And some of those who are near and dear to me could be thousands of miles away. So I am a very avid user of uh, Facebook and chat. I have a loving husband who is support, very supportive. And I think without him being supportive of allowing me to do what I need to do when I need to do, I wouldn't be uh, as confident to it. So he takes care of me, of the house, of everything around, which means it allows me to come in and out. And I think the other thing is uh, I take time for a long time, uh, which is just sitting in the dark, quiet, and reflecting. I think that you just need to continue to to persevere because if you sit down and reflect too much, you then have fears of moving. And I just do what I need to do. And uh, when I'm tired, I just come back to my oasis in Jersey and I relax, have great food. I mean, that's mm. the other thing, you know, I, it keeps me going is mm. I, I know that everywhere I'm I'm going Hopefully, I'm going to find something new to eat. <laughs> You've got a new favorite, a new favorite restaurant, <laughs> and um, honestly, not yeah. think. You know, I think really the key is not to think too much about it and just to make it happen. Mm. I think that I am fortunate that I've been given an opportunity to be part of the conversation. I don't particularly go out and seek too many, like it's a, um, I don't do this for financial reasons. Uh, I think it's a financial drain rather than a financial gain. I don't get paid for speaking, but I am also much more comfortable with that because then I can be genuine in what I'm saying and also bring in um, mm-hmm. a perspective, mm-hmm. um, you know, about the environment. And it's not as though... I'm just falling into, you know, this role of leadership and conversation. Now I've had 25 years of doing it. So therefore I should use this, this forum. Yeah. And you're in a perfect position too, having been a change agent in various capacities in previous roles to be going out there and talking about how you can make this revolutionary tech or the revolutionary tech relevant two people so you kind of are part of that uptake of people wanting to be yep. interested in exactly it. so it's really uh assure you know using that that platform from before my knowledge of financial services mm. and means that if i'm talking to someone who's in banking i can keep up to the language with them and I think it's always important to have the other individual on the other side understand that you have enough knowledge. You may not have the in-depth knowledge that they have, but enough to be able to carry the conversation so that we can then really Mm. look to make this part of the psyche. I think that what happened with the internet is a lot of people didn't see it coming. And when it came, 
it changed their lives. And when we talk about mm. industrial revolution, people forget that after the end, the the onset of the industrial de- revolution, it took a hundred years for people to catch up. It created poverty. It did not create wealth first. It created poverty. Took over a hundred mm. years for people to catch up to where everyone was equalized. And it's very important in this new rev- evolution revolution that we don't have people left behind. Yeah. I mean, and in a way it created servitude, didn't it? And I guess yeah. that's what I'm hoping with some of the, the digital sovereignty that people are being released from, that kind of feeling of servitude. Yes, exactly. And that is, you know, we don't want to create that servitude and the technological servitude can be actually much more um, deliberating than actual uh, servitude was before so it is it is important for those of us mm. to look at social impact and see how the social impact can be both positive and negative and working with governments also mm. to understand what the impacts are um, my viewpoint is i don't want government regulating the technology and I'm glad to live in an environment such as the UK where government does not believe in regulation of technology, but it's also very important for them to understand the technology and the changes that it can make and how it can be used to marginalize. And that is why it's important in organizations such as Tech UK, which are working hand in hand with government and uh, industry. Well, I'd really like to have you back on in, I don't know, maybe a year or something like that to see where you're at in relation to AgriLedger and also Tech UK. And I think it will look very different in a year's time. So I hope you'll have the time to um, come back on the show and, and we can chat a bit further. I've got a cat sitting outside of my door meowing incessantly. So am I sounding distracted, Genevieve? Because I can I just not as not as bad uh, as I did when I, I got try, my coffee. I just, well, I'm wanting to strangle the cat. I love the cat, but it's staring at me and meowing so loudly, and I'm thinking, I'm going to have to stop. I'm going to end this. <laughs> Thank you so it's much. It's lovely. Take care of yourself all the best with AgriLedger. Thank I really you. Wish you all the best with it. Thank you very much. Uh, now, listeners, one thing I'm really aware of is that while uh, I was distracted with my cat Alfie, I forgot to close off with contact details for Genevieve. So I'll put those in the show notes for you. Uh, apologies for that. And she can be reached on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Telegram. So I'll make sure that they're all included. And Yeah, I hope you found the conversation with Genevieve really interesting and useful more than anything because I'm hoping she really did help to demystify what blockchain technology can do for the future and talk about the inclusivity that it can bring to a new economy in the future. So you've been listening to Lizzie Metton on People My Dog Would Like. Thanks for listening and look forward to coming to you with another guest sometime soon. Thanks so much. See you later.